0: We are in the fourth of a series of Jesus' sayings, beginning with I am. In chronological order in the book of John, the first one is I am the bread of life. The second was I am the light of the world. Last week, I am the gate for the sheep, and today, I am uh, the good shepherd. There's an interesting and powerful dynamic behind all of these I am statements. You'll find it at the end of John chapter eight, where Jesus was having a confrontational discussion with the Pharisees, the religious leaders and rulers of the day. They did not believe that he was who he said he was, even though they'd seen many miracles and they were trying to discredit him. And their chance came at the end of John chapter eight, where Jesus looked at them and said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, he saw it and was glad. Like a bunch of paparazzi, like, um, like our modern day reporters, they gathered around and they go, we got him. One of them said, you're not yet 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham. And he answered, before Abraham was, I am. Pow! Implosion, explosion, all in one. What just happened there? That they would lose it and start screeching and screaming and head for the rocks to put this imposter out of his ministry. What just happened? What just happened was that he took the name that Moses received from God as the as the name for God, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was digging a grave for himself. But folks, my Jesus was not afraid of death, and the grave he was digging could not hold him. I said, my Jesus is not afraid of death, and the grave he was digging could not hold him. What he was doing in that moment, and with all of the I am statements that followed, aggravating the situation was he was sealing his political death, but he was saving his eternal purpose. That's what was happening. Today in Lehighton and over at Palmerton, Pastor Kevin is um, doing the messages uh, online for them. And he said what Jesus was really doing is he was about to reveal his, his cross and his character and his care. Now, hold on and buckle up. I have two sermons for you today. Go ahead, groan. Do the collective groan. A pastor with two sermons is danger starting to happen. The first one is for what I call you meditators, you people who are able to take a passage and just meditate through, and you don't need somebody to serve you up a sermon every week. Sort of like the lady who wrote to Mother Teresa. This is true and said, I would like to come over to India, and I would like to be maybe one of the Sisters of Mercy and help you out. A few months later, she actually got a short letter written in hand by Mother Teresa, and her, her message was, find your own Calcutta. And that's what I'm going to ask meditators to do today, find your own sermon. Um, you know, it's really nice when... Um, Anthony, when, when people leave, I don't know how it is with, with worship leaders, but pastors really like it when somebody meets them at the door and says, nice sermon, pastor. I'll admit it, that feels really good. Um, but um, what really makes us excited is when somebody specifically that day or during the week says... You won't believe how timely that was. Here's how God spoke to me during that message. So nice sermon is good. It's better than meeting me at the door saying nice try. (laughs) (laughs) But for you meditators, um, here's how you do it. You might take the five words in I am the good shepherd and meditate your way through it. It might take some of you 15 minutes or half an hour or even longer to do that with those five words as well as uh, anything else in that chapter. And you are able to meditate your way through it. I tried it and here's how it happened with me. I, with emphasis on I, am the good shepherd. I means that it's the person speaking and nobody else. I am the Good Shepherd. In all of the Old Testament, I thought, um, everything's building up to one who would be the Messiah, the chosen one of God who would actually bear the sins of the world and would, would be the Savior, the Messiah of the Jews and the savior of the Gentiles, and how all of the Old Testament looks forward to that day when Messiah comes and Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I am the good shepherd. When Isaiah was talking about the person who would say, I am that good shepherd, says he was, he's going to be all this wrapped up in one. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all wrapped up into one. Who could possibly do or be all of that? Read John chapter 1, and you will find that John is saying, um, He's here, and He's not me. There is one who is the great I. He's the great I who can say, I am that one who was to come. I am. The good shepherd. The second word is simply that, you know, he's arrived. He's, he's going back to heaven. He's going to come back again to receive us to himself. No need to look elsewhere. Am. I am the good shepherd. Not was. Not going to be. But right now, today. Remember when in John chapter 4, Jesus, tired from a journey, sat down at a well, sent the boys into town to get lunch, and this lady comes by who is not even a purebred Jewish, and he said, could you get me some water to drink? You remember that story? And um, he said that he was the living water. She said, I go back as far as Jacob, who did this well. And he said, Messiah is going to come, And he will explain all of this to us that you're trying to explain to me. And remember what Jesus said? Here's the first person verbally that he told he was Messiah. I who speak to you am he. Present tense. Negates everyone else who has ever gone before or who will come after. I am the good shepherd. Not a good shepherd. Once when I came to this church some 18 years ago, I was sitting in my office, and I, somebody knew me from before and just wanted to come by to see how I was doing. And of course, since I knew she was brought up in this church, uh, the conversation got around to, where have you landed with your faith? To tell you the truth, Pastor Scott, she said, um, I no longer believe that there's just one way to heaven. From what I've seen in life and my studies, I I can no longer believe that. When I come into this church, I walk down the hallway and there's a room here for you and there's a room here and there's one here and one here and I can walk into any room that I wish and stay there as long as I want to search it out. And honestly, I can't tell you, I believe that Jesus is the way. Well, I was stuck with a decision right about then. Either I had to believe her or believe the one who had the audacity to say, I am the Good Shepherd. And I just want you to know, in case you were wondering, she came in a very distant second. (laughs) Not even on my radar because he said, I am the Good Shepherd, not a Good Shepherd. He said, I am the Good Shepherd. If he was saying he's the good shepherd, then there must be bad bad shepherds. (laughs) That was for my grandson, folks. He's, He's here. And for the kid in you. There are bad shepherds. In Ezekiel 34, there is a definition of what good shepherds would be. And Ezekiel was pointing right at the religious leaders of his day. He said, you've been bad shepherds. A good shepherd will will do all of these things that I'm going to enumerate for you. A good shepherd is going to um, strengthen the weak. He's gonna bind up the injured. He's going to heal the sick. He's gonna bring back the strays and he's gonna search for the lost. And you boneheads haven't done any of this. Well, that was my own translation. <laughs> you haven't done any of this. You've muddied the waters. You've beaten them into oblivion. Uh, you haven't done, not only have you not done that, you abandoned them like the um, person today in the passage that, that abandoned the sheep when danger came. You've muddied the waters, you've clothed yourself with their wool, you've slaughtered them, and you've beaten them out of fear. But he says, I am the good shepherd. And finally, shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And that's what he calls himself. Most of the time, us pastors like to have some kind of visual uh, for the sermon. And um, I thought I might try something a little different. Some of you saw it a few years ago. Dr. Harry Wood preached for our a Good Friday service, and by the way, he'll be back here again this year to preach in our Good Friday service. And this one, he had a real live lamb up here. And he took that lamb, and he was talking about Jesus being the, um, the lamb that would take away our sins and he held it up next, next to his three-piece suit and he walked back and forth and he talked up and down and he preached and that lamb didn't bleat, didn't do a thing. And I thought this would be such a cool picture. Uh, you would have thought Dr. Wood was Jesus himself. I mean, that lamb was so good and I thought, maybe I should try that. But then I thought, maybe not for two reasons. One is my personal history with animals. There are some things I didn't want you to remember about this sermon if the animal didn't behave. And the second is that the sheep aren't the star of the show in this passage today. The shepherd is. So I chose a staff. Caleb, could you bring me that staff? Thank you very much. Here you see probably just a stick, and somebody back there says there's no crook to it. All of the shepherds of the day had a crook. This one doesn't, um, but this will serve the purpose. It means a lot to me. Early in my ministry here, uh, a young man found out that I liked to hike, and he thought, Pastor needs a nice hiking stick. And so he went out into the woods until he found, he searched and searched, and found just the right one, he thought that's it. And as he was going to cut down this little tree, he, it was up on a steep bank, he, he fell, he actually injured his knee pretty severely, um, but he risked his life and he got it and he cut it down and he skint it down and he varnished it and that's why that means a lot to me. There's a lot you can do with a staff, you can lean on it, like I'm doing right now. You can, you can direct your sheep where they need to go. You can cut brush with it, I suppose. You could do just about anything to protect your sheep, but you don't beat the sheep with it. You protect them. And so, that is the visual that I want you today. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and you think of that. Okay, Caleb, before I hurt myself, could you come and get it? Thank you. Let's hear it for Caleb. Do you know what his dad said? Uh, Caleb's always helping. He's here at eight o'clock every Sunday morning, helping somewhere. His dad said, you just made my son, Caleb, your staff pastor today. (laughs) So, welcome to the staff, Caleb. All of those things I was thinking of when I thought of I am the good shepherd who protects and cares and calls us each by name. But I can't call Anthony and Pam and the team to come up just yet because the second sermon is about to happen. We know our audience well enough to know that some of you feel like you haven't been to church if you haven't had a little commentary Here, three points, preferably, with alliteration. And so I have good news for you commentators, and that is I found them. I got three points with alliteration, and you poor meditators, uh, you'll just have to meditate at home. I'm sorry. Hang with us for just a few minutes. Here's the three points that were in the message that came through the passage today. Number one is we all need a pen, pen as in a corral. It was David, the shepherd himself, who said, Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Do inheritance. you see that? He's talking about boundaries. He's talking about a pen. A place where you call home, a place that is safe, and so that wherever you go, you always take something of home with you. That's the pen that he's talking about. A pen that will be for Jew and Gentile alike. Sort of reminds me of something that some of you have invested in if you have uh, dogs at home. It's called an invisible fence. The idea of it is very simple, and it's this. You put the collar on your doggy, and you have set the boundaries, and you turn on the power, and when your dog gets close, he sees the rabbit or the squirrel, and he goes tearing off into the wild blue yonder where you'll never catch him again, Uh, he feels a little buzz right about here. And if he doesn't slow down, he's going to feel a bolt right about here. And that doesn't stop the average American dog. And so he will say, I'll just go around here. And he feels a little buzz, and he gets another bolt. And he thinks there's only one way out of here, and he takes off this way. I'm over here, camera people. Uh, He gets over here, and he gets the buzz and the bolt again. Now, I understand that some of your dogs this doesn't work with. And I have a little message for you. It's no longer an electronic problem. It's an intelligence problem. (laughs) And now you know. You knew where I was headed. I'm not talking about sheep and dogs anymore. I'm talking about us people. Because we have an invisible shield too. And right here it is. Right here. And every time we get to the edge of where we're supposed to be, and the commands of the Bible, David said, Lord, thank you for your laws. Thank you so much for them. By them as your servant warned, buzz. And some of us, all of us have received the bolt. And It didn't feel good. And if we're smart, we will say, not going there again. Thank you, God, for the boundaries. Don't wanna go back over there again, but sometimes we do anyway. And some of your dogs, you can actually say, it doesn't bother them anymore. They don't care about the bolt. They care what's on the other side. They can get through this, and they never fear the buzz and the bolt ever again. That's a sad place to be, because we all need a pen. And God has made it for us. And rather than restraining us, it gives us safety. And when, this is the place where we learn the shepherd's voice. We learn to love one another. It's what you're doing right now. It's the church gathered. So that you can receive from the word of God and the laws of God and take them along with you. We all need a pen. So when, Somebody asked you this week, so where you been this weekend? You can say, I just got out of the pen. Pastor said we needed a pen. So that's what we need first of all, we all need a pen. Secondly, we all need a person with a capital P. We don't need a government, a system, a prescription, a program, a pastor, a priest, a president or parent. We don't need religion or denomination We need a person with a capital P. Warren Wiersbe said, you need a person who knows your name, your nature, and your needs. There is nothing sadder on the face of this globe than a Christianity without Christ and personal knowledge and relationship with him. It's what Paul was getting at when he was at the height of his ministry and all he wanted was to know Christ, he said, whatever was before Christ, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may know Christ. I remember an old district superintendent preaching in my very first church and he came to a point in a sermon where he was referencing heaven. And it was the way he said it that got me and I'll never forget the way he said it. He said, sometimes people ask me what I'm looking forward to most when I get to heaven. And this was spoken by 70 some years of of knowing Jesus. He said, that's easy. Christ will be there. My Christ will be there. It's like he just went off into a little dream world. That man knew this Christ. When we get to heaven, we're not going to meet a stranger. We're going to meet A person with a capital P. We all need a person. And there's only one, only one who can fill that place. And that one is Jesus. That's why every single week when people come to this church, they hear about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Every week because you need a person. And I need a person who will be with me in my dying day. We're going to heaven to meet a person. We all need a pen, we all need a person, and also we need a plan. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There's a commercial, and it says, what's in your wallet? I'm gonna ask you something today, what's in your plan? Everybody has goals that they want to reach, and you can accomplish a goal without accomplishing a plan. And so I'm asking you today, what's in your plan for your dying day and your dying hour? When we reach goals, it makes us happy. But when we have a plan, it makes us happily ever after. What's in your plan for your happily ever after? John 3.16 has a plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that is a plan. And we're told in John 1.12 that all who receive him, those who believe in his name, have the power to become his children, not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I may have many unreached goals in this life, but ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, I have a plan. And my plan is to one day meet Jesus personally at the gates of heaven. I don't know if it's true or not, but one man who was clinically dead who wrote a book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, said that in his vision of heaven, those who had the biggest influence on his life of bringing him into personal relationship with Christ were the first ones to meet him when he got to heaven. I'm not sure, I, if that's so, I know some people who heaven's intercom is gonna be calling all the time, saying um, calling this person's name, there's somebody else for you to meet at the door. I hope, if that is so, that we all get a whole lot of calls on Heaven's intercom. Because that is the plan, not only for us to get there, but to see others brought there as well. One day, Jesus said, There's, I, I'm dreaming of a sheep pen. And he said this 2,000 years ago, and it's not just you, my Jewish friends. And it is, it's for Gentiles too. And it's not just for your church and your generation, it's for many generations to come. And I, I dream of this sheep pen, in which I brought people in from every nation and people and tribe and tongue. And here they come from all over. And there's still going to be just, I'm going to make it all one big sheep pen, but there's only going to be one. Shepherd, I am the good shepherd. There's one or two or three prayers that some of you may be needing to pray and are ready to pray this morning. Let's pray together. First of all, somebody probably needs to pray, Oh Lord, I need a pen. I've been straying from you. I've been straying from the Bible. I've been straying from other Christians. And Lord, I am so ready to quit getting zapped. And I want to come back into your sheepfold. Please be my gentle shepherd and welcome me back and give others a forgiving and loving and understanding heart as I come back into the pen Somebody else needs to pray, oh, Lord, I need a person, a person that becomes so real to me that I can talk to you all day and all night. I can trust in you when I die. And, Lord, I've been trusting in things. And I need you. You're what I've been searching for. I've gone all around the world searching when it was right here at home all along. It was you, Jesus. I'm coming back to you. And someone else may be praying, Lord, I need a plan. You know that I've reached all of the goals and many of the goals that I've made in this earth, but Lord, it hasn't included a plan. A plan that one day, when I leave all of this, I'll be safe forever with you. I need your plan. And so I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and into my life and that you would be my good shepherd. And be with me, Lord, all of the days of my life that I may dwell one day in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen.